Well, good morning to you. I trust that you've had a wonderful, exciting, powerful, amazing week. This 4th of July week that you've had, has it been good for you? Or you've been rocking and rolling a little bit? Just a little bit? Mm. My daughter called all excited. That's the first one I've ever been in. Uh, we, we've been in a few because every time that we lived out here, we went through some of those. But uh, our kids had never been in one, and, and Randlin had fun at first, and then she <laughs> didn't think it was fun anymore. The second one, I think, was bigger, and she, she called us. And both times, we were coming and going. So the first one happened, we were driving up to Yosemite to see everybody at family camp, and uh, so we didn't feel it. And then on our way back, we were in the car again coming back, and, and she called, did you feel that one? I said, sorry, we're still in the car. <laughs> Ever since Thursday, we've been in the car. So, But uh, we had a great time at family camp. You had a good time here doing 4th of July here in Tehachapi, and uh, it's been good. I greet you once in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great to be with you, as always, worshiping the Lord and enjoying his presence and seeking, seeking him, seeking what he has for us each and every week. We come together, just open to his word. What would you like to say to us today, Lord? And I trust that, that uh, he's got that for us. I trust that you had a safe and sane a safe and sane 4th of July. Did you have one of those? Isn't that an interesting uh, idea? Safe and sane? <laughs> uh, as a young person growing up in Orange County, when the month uh, of June would come around somewhere in there, fireworks stands would begin to pop up everywhere. Uh, and we just got, got excited. We, it wouldn't, we wouldn't even see them. We'd just wake up and go, they're popping up. They're popping up. I know that, the, the, that all these fireworks stands are just going up everywhere. And they were, you remember them. Maybe, I don't see them that way anymore. Now they're tents and everything. But we had these, these elongated square things with fireworks all over them. And they had this wood thing with chicken wire across the front that you'd stand there as a little kid looking through and wishing you could have the block party. I'd like the block party, but give me some sparklers. That's what I can do. And uh, so it was always a great time. We, we just, they popped up all over the Southland, usually about a month before 4th of July. And, and names like Freedom Fireworks, Freedom Fireworks, Black Cat Fireworks, Red Devil Fireworks, the, these small stands, they just overnight pop up. And at eight years of age, we couldn't wait to get our hands on some Roman candles. Didn't you want a good Roman candle back in the day? I know now we have explosives, you know, they go up and you can be your own big fireworks show. But we just, we just want to get our hand on a Roman candle or a smoke bombs. We like smoke bombs. See those things just, just pop out of nowhere and sparklers and, and snakes, black snakes. Black snakes is the ones that pop out the smoke ones. We throw those all over and, and they just make, make smoke everywhere, which our parents would say, not on the sidewalk, right? Not on the sidewalk. We got you a board. They'd cut us a board and put our snakes on the board, and that's how they wanted us to do it because they knew they had to clean up. And the kids never cleaned up. The parents were always stuck cleaning up. As an adult, though, I find it interesting on the, sides, uh, on the side of those fireworks stands, the words that, that says safe and sane. Safe and sane. You see, there's really nothing really safe and sane about an eight-year-old with matches and fuses. There's just not. But it was safe and sane fireworks. And that was back then. Then, at least these days, we have a little common sense, right? <laughs> a little bit? Well, we did back then. We had common sense. Nowadays, we're not so sure. But we'd all look back and go, yeah, back then, 
we, we had a better idea about such things, common understanding. Today, we, we live in the no-fear era, that no-fear era, a time when the more dangerous it is, the more people want to try it. And if you haven't seen that yet, just go to YouTube.com. You can see uh, people who don't have common sense doing uncommon sense-like things on YouTube, right? Because they want to get followers. They want to say, followers, you know, click me, got to click me. But we live in a time when it's dangerous. So if you're going to launch yourself off the roof or off a second story of a roof onto a table on the ground and you've seen it done on, on YouTube, I, I'm not sure what that's about. Uh, I, I, you know, it's about breaking tables. But, but people are just launching themselves off the second story and landing on tables. And everybody laughs. And I, we, we laugh and on YouTube and go, that's silly. That's ridiculous. Why would you do such a thing? And apparently you can survive this kind of activity. You, you can survive it. And if you can, then it must be something that we can and should try to do the day that we're living in anyway. Since we've, not, we've never experienced broken arms or broken ribs or broken legs or anything broken per se, and it just seems like a great activity, and everybody's doing it. So you know what I'm talking about, common sense or a common understanding uh, or, or even the lack of such a common sense or understanding. Not only do we have or should we have a common sense in the working out of our everyday lives, which, by the way, is not very apparent the day that we live in. We see it on the nightly news all the time, and when we're watching nightly news or that YouTube channel or Facebook or any of them, but there's a lot of stuff that we see that we just kind of scratch our heads and we say to ourselves, why would anyone do that? But not only should we have a common sense in our everyday lives, there's a, there's a common, there are some common understandings that we should experience in our spiritual lives also. A common sense or an understanding as to what we as Christians, as Christ followers, what, what are we to be doing? Is there something that God has for us or is it all just very individualized and he'll speak it to you personally? That could happen. But is there anything that we as followers of Christ ought to be about these days? Today we start our series on Get Real. <laughs> When Lynn and I first married, we heard this term a lot, not in such a positive sense, because her father, her father, he, he was kind of an Archie Bunker type, just a little bit. You know the type what I'm talking about? If you, you maybe didn't live that long back, but it's just kind of negative about everything, and, and we'd come up with some big kind of idea, and he'd just look at us and go, oh, get real. Get real. And if you really gave him a great idea, he'd just look at you and say, whoopee. <laughs> whoopee. And he was just kind of negative at times. It was his, the way he was raised, I guess. But no, we're not saying it that way today. Some common understandings, get real. It's today a number one, the, the, the number one message that we'll start with today. It's called relevant fishing. It's get real. This is a good thing that we would get real in, in the culture that we live today. Just be real people about what has happened to us in Christ. And, and the, the message title today is relevant fishing. You ever been fishing? You guys are quiet today, aren't you? They, they're all up at family camp, the noisy ones, aren't they? Okay, you've been Yeah, Chris has been fishing this weekend. He's been out deep sea fishing. Got a great present at Father's Day and took his son and his uh, father-in-law out, and they did some fishing and trolling and whatever else all the way out to midnight. I'm, you're here today. That's awesome. Relevant fishing. It's something that we should be about. Some, some really amazing God stuff has been going on around uh, the church, his church, uh, this church, Tinaz. Now, I, I'm not. I'm not being spooky about things. I'm not really one to be uh, real spooky about such things. Like, ooh, but 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 I, I'm into I, I'm into listening 
to the Lord, listening to God, his moving, and either getting out of the way or, or, or following him as he's doing, as he's leading us and guiding us as a people of God and how we ought to be about, not a spooky, but an active listening and, and going his direction and being about what he's taught us to do. And, and I was considering this message series sometimes, uh, sometime um before everything started happening. There's just some things that have been going on that are really cool. Uh, people have been just calling the church, just calling the church. Can I, can I talk to you? Can I come up? To, and, and they just want the Lord. They're just wanting the Lord. They just want somebody to talk to that will tell them about the Lord. And, and there's a lot of hurt going on in lives, and, and they just, they're calling in now. Is that, is that amazing? They just phone in the church or text. They'll text me. Hey, can I talk to you? Sure, you can talk. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk. And then it's people that are just desiring peace in their lives and not sure where to get it. People who haven't ever, ever had the Lord in their lives. They've never been in a church. They've never read a Bible. First Bible they went and bought was a new. It was a King James. <laughs> and I said, "How's that working?" And I said, "Where'd you start?" Genesis. Ah, okay, so it's not working real good, is it? And and so we got him a new Bible. And and now he's up in John somewhere, and he's he's figuring some things out, going through some studies, and it's wonderful. It's liberating. It's exciting. What God's doing right here in our midst. He's he's bringing people to us that just say, "Would you please tell me what I need to do?" You know how people are just, they want it now, and, and, and you've had some kind of interaction with them, and, and, and they, maybe, maybe so-and-so can tell me how this works. Maybe they can lead me in the right direction. So I feel convinced that God's directing us into this four-week series called Get Real. Here's the acronym for Get Real, for Real, R-E-A-L. Real is, R is relevant fishing. That's for this morning. Next week, we'll look at engaged follower, and engaged follower, and then A for authentic witness, and then L for life-giving gardening. Life-giving gardening. We're all going to get busy gardening for the Lord. You see, there's an activity, a common way in which we as Christ followers should walk and, and really conduct ourselves, be about doing the things that he's called us to do, something that used to be really apparent to anyone having trusted in Christ for salvation. And, and as the years have gone by and shared experiences have developed into new ways of doing what we do as Christians, less and less of, of, of some are, are that common activity, less and less are happening. We, we've just studied a lot about it. We've thought a lot about it. We've talked a lot about it. We used to call it witness. Uh, uh, Witnessing. Do you remember back when we call it witnessing? I mean, we go out on Tuesday night witnessing, Tuesday night visitation, and go knock on doors of people that just happened in one day. And and uh, I remember my father and, and his buddy from church. They they went out to one door and they knocked on the door and they went through a gate first, which we wouldn't probably do that today. But went through a gate, knocked on a door. Person answered the door and said, "Hey, we're from Midway City Church Nazarene." And the lady said, "Well, you got just a short period of time before I let my dogs out. You want to get off my property?" And my dad and his buddy looked at each other and said, we got to get out of here. So they turned around, and they made it halfway out, uh, halfway towards the gate, and a dog latched on to my dad's friend there. <laughs> and they got a good laugh out of it. It hurt. It used to hurt. There was a day when it used to hurt, and we didn't sue. We just move on. You know, we just move on. Hey, lady. And that was when she let the dog out, like, I'm going to want him to bite you. And, and so there was a day that we just wanted to be about what God wanted us to be about. And they laughed about it and put something on it, you know, the marks that dogs leave. And, uh, but it, my dad had a really good laugh because it was his friend that it went after. So he, he really thought that was good. But we used to witness. We used to go Tuesday night visitation and witness to people. 
But today it's termed as in a different way. We talk about God's stories, sharing our God stories. New names, same activity. We all have them, but we must pay attention to how God is leading us or we may miss the opportunity that, that he is bringing into our lives and how our stories might impact the, the conversations that we're having with the others that are around us. We need to be open to that. So if you, you've been following Jesus for some time now, and maybe you're wondering, what, what is it that we should be doing? Like, like, hey, what should we be doing as followers of Jesus? What is our common activity? You see, in God's word, we are called to fish for others. We're called to fish for others. That's, how, that's the, the, the terminology that it uses. It uses an activity that the disciples were doing that they were already good at, and, and the Lord told them, well, I'm going to make you fishers of men. We're to share Christ with others. Now, that can be really uncomfortable to a lot of people. That's not my gifting. I've taken all the gift surveys, and that one's not my, my best. But it doesn't stop us from needing to be about sharing our stories with other people. That's a good place for amen right there, right there, just that we should be sharing our stories with others. You're afraid that I'll sign you up, right? You all said amen, put you on a list. We're all going calling Tuesday night. We're all heading out. Going to reach people for Jesus. No, it's just sharing our stories. And it can be uncomfortable, but it's a natural, common sense, relevant activity for those who have trusted in Jesus. In essence, we might say that because of what God has done for me in my life, because of all the things that he transformed me and changed my life, because he did that in my life, I really desire to share it with others. You see, a spirit life, common sense sharing of your story is really much easier than you think it is. You might think, I can't do that. I don't speak to people. It's what we as Christ followers are called to do. This is our common understanding, our normal God-led activity as followers of Jesus. Sharing and telling, communicating what God has done in each one of our lives in our own words is something that our culture, they're really looking for. The culture that we live in, they're looking for. It's, it's something that our whole world's looking for. It's something that Tehachapi is looking for. And all we have to do is be about relevant fishing, telling our story and fitting it perfectly in a situation where somebody's asking us about our lives. Engage followers, authentic witnesses, and life-giving gardening. There's people in Tehachapi that are looking for that right now. And there's going to be more. we got a Walmart Supercenter. Did you see we're getting a Walmart Supercenter? Did you see they turned our road into half roads? You can't get there anymore that way. you got to go all the way around the world to the left to get where you're going. So it's okay, though. Because Walmart's coming in, and there's other stores that are coming in. I've heard, and you don't. I'm not telling. I'm not telling until I see something go up. It's amazing what's maybe coming to our town. But that means more people are coming to our town. More people are going to live in Tehachapi. And I know some of you lived here since it was desolate, and you liked it that way. But it's okay. There's a whole bunch of people. That, one contractor's put in for 5,000 new homes in the next 10 years. We're going to be a, a, a little L.A. up here. Are you ready? No, no. Sorry. A, a little... Well, I don't know what to compare us to, but we're going to be, we're going to have more people and more people bring, yeah, it brings some problems, it brings some challenges, it brings some, some, some negative things, but we have the answer. We are the children of God. We, we, we have our story to tell to people who are just really looking. They're not just looking for clean air. They're looking for peace in their lives. They're looking for someone to tell them how I can be, a, you seem to have peace in your life. Pastor, you've got peace in there. What, where'd you get it? Can I buy it? Can I write you a check? No, you can't buy it. You can't jump through any hoops. All you can do is commit your life to Christ. And here's what I did, and, and you can try that too. We just need to tell our story. 
Reading from the Word this morning, I direct your attention to Matthew 4, 18 through 22, and then John 21, 2 and 3. I won't have you stand this morning. I'll just share this with you out of uh, Matthew 4, 18 through, uh, through 22. It just says this now. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. You got that, right? They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately, immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And then up in John, there, 21 two through three. This goes on the backside of all the time spent with Jesus. Now uh, he's been crucified, he's risen, and he's appeared to them. And it says here that Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee the two other, and two others of his disciples were all together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. And then some in verse this verse here, uh, I guess that'd be three. They render this out. This says they went out. There are other versions that say they immediately got in the boat. Once again, they immediately got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. They didn't catch anything. They didn't catch anything. When you go fishing, don't you expect to catch, uh, catch something? Do you, do you all go fishing? Okay, I thought you did. All right. When we go, we expect to catch something, right? We do what we need to do to get ready to catch something. Well, this, the reading of God's word for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for how good you are to us, Lord, and I pray that your word would speak, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a story about a group of people who call themselves fishermen. They lived in an area where there were many fish waters all around them. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes and rivers, and, and, and they were just full of all these fish. And, and the fish were really hungry. They, they would be like what you might say they're biting. The fish are biting. They are hungry fish. And week after week, month after month, and year after year, these people who called themselves fishermen, they held meetings and they talked about their call to be fishermen the abundance of fish, and they, they passed along all the latest innovations in fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing was all about. Defend, uh, they defended fishing as a noble occupation, and they declared that fishing is always the primary task of a fisherman. They constantly searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They loved such slogans as, fishing is the task of every fisherman. They sponsored special meetings known as Fishermen's Campaigns. Uh, they went out on nationwide and even worldwide tours to discuss fishing and promoting fishing and hearing about all the new developments and technologies and advances that there were in fishing and new ways of presenting the bait to the fish made it even more attractive and alluring. They built large, beautiful buildings called Fishermen Headquarters. And they selected some of their best fishermen to staff it. They appealed to everyone to become fishermen. There was only one thing they did not do. They didn't fish, ever. 
In addition to organizing and holding regular scheduled meetings, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other parts of the world where they were fished, the fish were plentiful. The board appointed various committees and held many meetings to talk about fishing and defend fishing and develop new strategies for fishing, but the committee members never went fishing. Large, expensive training centers were built for the purpose of teaching fishermen how to fish. They offered courses on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, dealing with the different generations of fish, the psychological makeup of the fish, and how to approach and feed those fish. The professors all had degrees in fishology, but none of them ever went fishing. They only taught fishing. And after completing the course of study, graduates were given their fishing license and sent out to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters that were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen, they responded. They were commissioned, and they were sent out to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they could talk for hours about the need for fishing, and they knew all the current developments in fishing, but they didn't fish. They were too busy doing other things. Some said they really wanted to fish, but since they just didn't have the time, they, they would just finish, they, they would just furnish fishing equipment for others to go do the fishing. Others felt that their job was to establish a good relationship with the fish so that the fish would be more receptive to the fishermen. After one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and actually went fishing. He reported the next day that he caught two outstanding fish and he was honored for his excellent catch and immediately a nationwide tour was scheduled so that he could visit all the big meetings and tell how he did it. So he quit fishing at once in order to have time to tell others about the experience of fishing. He was also placed on the fisherman's general board which consumed quite a bit of his time so much that he had no time at all for fishing any longer. Now, it's true that many of the fishermen made professional or personal sacrifices, and they put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and had to bear the smell of dead and decaying fish every day. They were ridiculed by some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and for the fact that though they claimed to be fishermen, they never really fished. They wondered about those people who felt that attending weekly meetings to talk about fishing was a waste of time. After all, they were, were they not following the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt they were one day when someone suggested that those who don't catch fish were not really fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. But they understood the criticism. After all, can people who never catch fish really claim to be fishermen? So our question, or at least something to reflect upon today, is this. Are we really following if we as followers of Jesus are not fishing? You see, as we read from our text this morning there in Matthew 4 and in John 21, Jesus comes and he calls. He calls the disciples, some disciples. It's apparent that he, that Jesus chose fishermen so as we read from Matthew 4, Jesus, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw the two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their net for they were fishermen. So, so Simon or Peter was, was number one. Simon Peter was number one. And his brother, Andrew, that's number two. And, and they were casting their nets. They, they, they may want to, we, we may want to notice 
that they were casting their nets. They were about doing actual fishing. We're not talking fishing rods here. We're talking casting a net. You see, they were not recreational fishermen. They were commercial fishermen. They, they fished for a living. And then Jesus said to two of them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says that they immediately, they immediately left their nets and followed him. We'd want to take note that they left their nets and they immediately followed Jesus. Then going from there, he, Jesus, he found two other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee and John, his brother in the boat with their father Zebedee. And they were the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And James and John, they were mending their nets. They were taking care of their nets. They weren't casting. They were mending. You see, there are two types of nets, and they were mending. He, he Jesus, he calls them, James and John, and what did they do? They immediately left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. So they were casting, and they were mending. Two types of nets that they used even to this day. A casting net's about 15 feet in diameter. And it's used in the shallows to catch bait. I learned this from Lynn when I was about 22 years old because we went back to her hometown in McCook. And her dad was like, hey, we're going to take you all out fishing. So we were going to go fishing, but first we were going to go down to the Republican River. And in the Republican River, Lynn told me that we would be doing some saning. Saning, S-E-I-N. And I said, that sounds insaning. And she didn't get the joke, but she said, well, we're going to go down to the Republican River and we're going to sane. And what, it's a long, about an eight to ten foot net, about three or four foot wide, and you just put it in the river and the little fish that are coming by, you'll catch it in the saning net. And so we would catch those to put on our hook to go out to the Red Willow uh, Lake and catch the big fish. And, and that's what these followers were doing. This thing was 15 feet in diameter and would be used to, to cast out and then pull it in the catch of small fish that would be used for the, the catching the larger fish. The reason that they could cast their net and talk to Jesus was because they were in that shallow, they were in that shallow water casting to catch the small fish with it. And there's another time when he tells them to put it out into the deep. Put it out there into the deep on the right side. And of course now James and John were on the shore and they were mending their nets, and that's a much bigger net. And from history, we can find that it was probably about 328 foot long and about 8 foot wide. That was the net that they took in the boat, and they would drag it from behind the boat. And remember, they had it on the one side, and Jesus yelled to them, put it on the right side. And, and they, okay, you know, and they put it on the other side, and it had a haul that they could not even bring in. They couldn't even pull it all the way in. It's a method that's still used to this day to do the larger commercial-type fishing so we have four out of 12 disciples that we know of that are fishermen. Now, there are many, there's many that believe that there were at least seven fishermen that Jesus called. Nathaniel and Thomas were fishermen. There are some who believe that Philip was also. So, so we can count them. Peter, he was, that was one. And then Thomas called the twin, that was two. Nathaniel of Canaan of Galilee, that's three. Sons of Zebedee who were the two brothers, James and John. That was five, or that's a total of five. And then there in verse 2 of Matthew 21, two other disciples. And they were all together there at the Sea of Tiberias. So we see seven out of the 12 that very well may have been all fishermen. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. 
And this is when Jesus has already risen from the dead. The tomb's empty. Disciples have gone back fishing. And at least seven of them, Jesus has appeared to them. He's appeared to Thomas. He's doubted. Thomas has doubted. And Jesus has offered his side and his hands to show Thomas that it's him. And we learn in Matthew 20 why the gospel's been written, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And believing we may live, we may have life in him. And then Jesus manifests himself to the disciples once again. They're fishing. They've gone back to what they were doing before the, he first called. Fishing. And they immediately leave the boat. And they go fishing in the night and they caught nothing. They go in the boat, they go out and they've caught nothing. So there are at least seven disciples engaging in this work. It's a great miracle for them that occurs having caught nothing that night and then having that big haul that they can't even pull in. So there's at least four, but maybe even seven. And I can just imagine the Father and Jesus getting together and making their plans about how they will share this great story with all of mankind. And they decided that they would need 12 Disciples that would carry this great message, and we don't know uh, why 12. 12 seems to be a big number with God. We've, we've got 12 tribes and 12 stones and 12 foundations and 12 gates and 12,000 uh, of each of the 12 tribes. It makes up 140,000, 144,000, but we don't, we don't know. But in the mind of the Holy Trinity, there's something about the 12 that just works. We'll just have to ask when we get to heaven one day, hey, Jesus, tell me what's up with the 12. There's a lot more 12s that we can find in, in, the, in the word. What's up with the 12 thing, Lord? So how is it that from perhaps more than half of the disciples that these at least four and perhaps even seven that they were chosen from this work, for this work of fishing to reach people? Something's important here. The answer just might be it was for their skill in catching what they were fishing for. For their skill of what they know how to do already and putting that towards catching people. It's a skill that they have and perhaps this was important. These guys were fishermen. They knew that they were going to go on out into the water. They, they, they knew how to cast. They knew how to fish and they knew how to mend. These were not casual, we, casual weekend anglers. These were men that, that knew how to fish. And they knew what fish, they knew what to fish with. They knew where to fish. And they had a skill in doing an activity that would be relevant to the activity of reaching others with the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They knew how to fish. And Jesus said, I'm going to take the skill that you have and I'm going to teach you to fish for people. You're going to learn how to catch people for me. This is just a very down-to-earth. These are very down-to-earth, relevant words from God's Word that will help us as we consider how are we following Jesus. We're talking relevant, simple instruction about what we as followers of Jesus are to be doing to catch others, to lead others, to help others find Jesus. That's one of the main things that we're about. So I hope you're ready for some very simple, relevant instructions for each of us as we go fishing. We start with number one. Number one, we all need to put bait on our hook. We all need, have you ever tried to fish without bait? It doesn't work as well, does it? 
When I was very young, I remember my fishing pole. I'd take my fishing pole out in the front yard, and I would practice casting my line. I would use a very small anchor or sometimes just a bobber. It was just heavy enough to give it just enough weight to be able to cast it about 50 to 75 feet out. And i just keep practicing, try and hit the tree in the next-door neighbor's area, you know, and just keep practicing. But you see, if all I ever did was to show up to the lake or to the ocean with just my pole, my weight, my bobber, and a hook, I would never, and never put anything on the hook, it would be a hopeless activity and futility. Many would watch in amazement that I would even cast a line having not had any bait on the hook. They'd probably ridicule and laugh at me to be casting and expecting to catch anything without anything on that hook you got to bait your hook. So you can see the parallel. We all need to put bait on our hooks to catch people for Jesus. We might ask, what is the bait? And here's the answer. Bait is any God story that you have about God's goodness to you. Any story that's developed in your life that shows that God helped you in a very powerful way, his goodness to you, and you can share that. What has God done in your life lately? up to date. What has he done lately? That's worth telling somebody else about. That's all that you need to know. That's your bait. It can be as simple as how God came into your life or, or, or how he has healed you or given you victory over something that was in, the, in an area of your life. It's anything that would bring attention to Christ in your life and what he, that has meant to you. Anything that God's done in your life and what it means to you. That is our bait and your story, your God story. It's very different than anyone else's story. It might be similar, but it's very different because it's your story. You don't need a four-year degree to have a God story about what Jesus has done for you in your life. Each of us just needs to have our God story on the hook and available when the needs arise, when we're out doing the things that we're doing and the need arise. You see, there are many of us who have not yet put bait on our hook. We have not thought about our grand story of coming to Jesus. When was the last time you really thought about that? Maybe it was many, many, many years ago. I bet if you start telling it, it'll be fresh as it was the day it happened to you. That grand story of coming to Jesus, accepting the Lord, or watching God bring a victory in your life in some way, shape, or form. Psalm 34 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's what people, they're hungry to taste and see how good God is. They've heard about him. They've seen maybe not so good representations in the lives of some, but, but we don't have to be that way. We can be the ones that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me tell you how he's been that in my life. Let me share with you what he did in my life. And I can tell you, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's blessed to take refuge in him. It is innate in any human being to want to know God to taste of the goodness of God and with our God stories. The bait is on our hooks. We need to tell others of how, God, how good God is, how great it is to have a friend that sticks with us closer than, than any brother does, how awesome it is to, for, 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 to see from God's word that he is with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. He, he's with me when everyone else abandons me, when others mock me. Or make fun of me when others try to hurt or destroy me. Our God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good and we can share that with others. How good he's been in each one of our lives. Our God story is the bait. By the way, we're catch and release people. I hope you know that. 
We're not looking to fry people up and fillet them. We're, we're here to tell them about our story, catch them, and then release them so that they can tell others. It's what we're all about here at TNAS. Transform lives is what we're about. Just that vision statement, it screams that we all have a story to tell. For he transformed our lives. That is our God story. And if we don't bait our hooks, we'll be fishing with nothing on the line and catching nothing with nothing. So number one, we all need to put bait on our hooks. Number two, we all need to put our hooks in the water. I told you this, this was going to be powerful. We need to put bait on the hooks, but we need to put our, our hooks in the water. You see, it's not enough just to have a God story. That's not where it ends, just to have a God story. It's not good enough to just put bait on the hook. If we never cast it out in the water, if we never tell our story, it's worthless. It's like walking out on the pier at Huntington Beach with all the gear, the tackle, the bait on our hooks, but never casting out into the water. It would be better that we didn't show up at all than to be left on the shoreline, bait on the hook, having never made a cast. You might say, I don't, I don't have a a story to tell. I don't have a, a big story that's mine. It's just not big enough to draw others. And I want you to know that your story is not about how bad you were, but how, about how, God, how good God was. It's not about how bad you were. It's about how good God has been to you. We often think about our story, how it isn't that big. It, it doesn't compare to the others. Theirs is so powerful and mine's really not that much. How could it possibly reach others that are out in the depths of despair? But I would beg to differ. There are those that want to know. They want to know that we've all been out in the deep also, regardless of what it looked like. Our God, in his infinite mercy one day, he reached down into the deep for each one of us. None of us were any shallower than any others. We are just as deep in it as they were. And God plucked us out one day. So your story is not about how bad you've been, but how good God is. And we all need to bait our hooks and put them in the water. When I was a kid growing up in the church, we used to sing an old hymn. When I was a kid, that's all we sang was a good old hymn. Do you remember just singing hymns? We mixed them with a few Gaither choruses back in the day. But the song was called, I Love to Tell the Story. Verse 2 says this. I love to tell the story, more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all the golden dreams. I love to tell the story, it did so much for me, and that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. I love to tell the story, will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Our hymns told a lot of what happened to us in our lives. Do we still love to tell the story? What Jesus has done for us? Our story is what Jesus has done for us, and we must tell the old, old story. But it must be relevant, it must reach today's culture. We need to reach our, we need to, we each need our lines baited and in the water. Our story is our bait and our hooks need to be cast out into, wa into the water. It's relevant because it, it's your story. 
It's relevant because it's my story, and that brings us to point three. We are to fish where there are fish. Another blow you away statement. We are to fish where there are fish. Uh, I know to, uh, I want you to know today that you don't have to quit your job uh, and move to one of our universities or Bible colleges and start in courses to become ordained in, in, in telling your story. If God calls you to do that, that's wonderful, but you can do that. But, but that is not what is required to fish for people. You don't need a degree from Nazarene Theological Seminary. Those are good, but you can just begin to see others with the eyes of Jesus and be ready to listen and then to give your story, to share your story. I, I mean, what could possibly happen? Will they begin to ask, by what degree did you learn to tell such stories? No, your story is your story. No one else has your story, so your story is true. If you authentically share your God story with others, there's no one that can refute that. Oh, they can. You brush that off and move on and let God do the work. Remember, we're not responsible for the outcome because the word says, then the Lord added daily to the number of those who were saved. Remember the blind man that Jesus healed? He said, whether this man is a sinner, they said, this man's a sinner. How could, how could he possibly have healed you? He says, whether this man is a sinner, I don't know, but what I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. And that is my story. That is your story. We were all once blind to the good news of Jesus Yet now we see that's what people are looking for. Do you have that answer? We have that answer, but we got to put it on the hook. We got to cast it out into the water, and we have to fish where there are fish. They live next door to us, they're waiting for us to get to work in the morning. They like being around us. We seem to be positive people, we seem to be happy or at least at peace with what our, our world has to offer. They are at the checkout stand, at the grocery store. They're at your favorite gas station. They sit next to you at the Little League game. They are in line at the post office with you or in the bed next to you at the hospital. We are to fish where there are fish. It's in our own sphere of personal influence that we share our stories. It's with the people that we have taken time with to get to know them, to care about their lives and asking how things are and is there any way that we can possibly pray for them today when God's timing is up they will ask they will seek God through those who have cared enough to be interested in them people of God let's let's bait our hooks let's put our hooks in the water and let's fish where the where there are people God called four fishermen perhaps even a total of seven he used their skills in commercial fishing to change an entire world What's your skill? He'll take that and he'll use it to help you reach others. It was good then and it's good now. Let God use your skills that you have to reach others with the good news of Jesus. There are hurting people that need to hear your God story. Won't you tell it? Won't you tell it to somebody this week? Can you imagine what would happen to us personally and to this church if we would all bait our hooks if we would all throw them out in the water where the fish are, just telling our stories of how good God has been to us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's been so, so good to me. Stand with me, will you? Relevant fishing, it's a common thing that we as Christ followers do. Let's go out into a lost world this week and 
cast our line, fully loaded with bait into areas where there are people. And you'll be surprised what God's going to do and how God's going to use you. Let me pray for you. Father, in some cases we've gotten away, Lord, from feeling the need to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's for somebody to do. But yet, Lord, you've called us all and you said, I will make you fishers of men. I will take the skill that you have. If you'll just bait your hook, if you'll just cast it in the water, if you'll fish where there's people, I will help you to to tell your story to others. Lord, would you help us to tell our story this week? Help us to reach out to others. Lord, there's such great need right here in Tehachapi. There always has been. For years and years and years, there's more fish than we can possibly catch. Lord, would you help us as a people of God, Lord, that that would become a common sense activity that we do as Christ followers just to tell our stories to other people as we go out into this lost world that we live in. We thank you and praise you. Lord, we praise you and thank you for these people that have gathered together today. Be with those that are on the mountain that will come home this week. Lord, we pray that you give them traveling mercies. Lord, send us out into this great uh, place called Tehachapi to reach people for you, we pray, and we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.